if you have your copies, you know where we will be. And um, I am looking for a pen. Anyone have an extra pen laying around? Oh, yo. <laughs> what are you, super hip now? Yo. Thanks, dog. <laughs> no, thanks, Paul. Oh, All right. It's good to see you guys here tonight. Um, as we are going to be digging deeper in, uh, just a forewarning, tonight it's heavy on content. I don't know if you notice this, but um, these, these Old Testament passages, as they're being unpacked, hold a lot of, a lot of doctrine. And sometimes they can, they can just be heavy in content, but that's okay, because that is what is next. So, let's start off with, with uh, where we began or left off this morning. What are some things that you and I, or that we learned or observed uh, or maybe have a new understanding, or maybe some things that stood out. And here's the text. In fact, um, Vic, why don't you stand and read this from the screen? I'm joking. All right, this, I'm just joking. I was going to pick on someone way in the back. This is our entire text. And I know this is very hard to read. How many here have good enough eyes to read that? Anyone at all? Oh, la-di-da. Okay. But if you can't read it, feel free to use your copies. But it's up there for our discussion time. So what are some observations, things you learned, or or maybe some things you'd like to add that you have learned in your own studies or from other other people who have taught you as well? Anyone want to start out? Some of you guys are turning around and looking at the back screen, and that's super cool. Things that stood out to you this morning. Observations. Yes, Eric. he He begins and ends with Jesus Christ. All right. Now, why is that important? Oh, you're not answering that question? Why? Why is that important? Because the focus is on Jesus. Yes. Um, it's, not, it's not on anything else. It's, yeah. Listen up. We're going to talk about Jesus. Yeah. And then how Luke brought up, and then he influenced friends and won enemies by saying, and you killed him. Yeah. And how about, I saw your hand come up. Amen. He reminds them of their guilt, but gives them a way out through salvation. Amen. Steve, I saw your hand. Mm-hmm. Okay, and 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Anyone else? Observations, applications? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cultivating God's presence in our life is a key to having gladness and joy. I don't know about you, but I often fail to do that. I fail to do that. Anyone else? Uh, uh, yes, uh, David. Yeah. All right. Excellent point. Excellent hermeneutical point. Anyone else? Observations, applications, things you've learned and see before? Yes, David. It's always difficult for me to put myself in the culture then, but it was good to hear and see um, that he wasn't saying we're all witnesses of it, these 120 people are witnesses, but the culture was such that. 40 days Christ was there, and everything was by word of mouth. We didn't have TV screens and news media to tell us what was going on. Word got around, and everybody there knew what was going on. Yeah. No matter how hard they tried it, or the Jews tried to hide it, or explain it away, Mm -hmm. it was irrefutable in that culture and in that understanding. Yeah, I agree with you. It really stood out to me, you know, as you yourselves know and have witnessed, you know, yes, this is Pentecost, week of weeks plus one, 50th day but for 40 of those 50 he gave convincing proofs you know i don't know about you but if i saw resurrected saints walking the seats the streets of jerusalem shortly after the resurrection um that's fresh in my mind okay that that has an impact it might be one of the contributing reasons all right that thousands upon thousands receive and that's in matthew chapter 27 thousands receive christ as a personal savior shortly from now and that's an excellent point Anyone else? Uh, things you, uh, Mike. Again, reminded that he was just a fisherman, so he didn't use his knowledge. He spoke from scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he spoke from scripture the very way Christ taught him how to, and unpacking those Old Testament passages christologically. Amen. All right. Uh, yes, Jason, Pastor Jason. Yeah. And now look how hope he is, right? And again, I think it's an encouragement. Wait a minute, we all have the same Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And what what a gracious what a great example of God's grace and restoration in our lives. Because just weeks ago. He didn't have the courage to claim Christ in front of a servant girl. And now he's proclaiming Christ boldly to dispersed, dispora Jews from all over the world. And rather boldly, you killed him. Any other observations? Things that you saw, maybe learned before we kind of jump into the, 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 the thickness of this text. Anyone else at all? Well, once. Mm-hmm. For this whole plan. Yeah. God did this, or God had Jesus do this, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting to see that connection. 
In fact, we're actually going to talk about that connection in just a little bit when he says he performed many signs and wonders through Jesus Christ. And so that's going to bring up some questions as well. Um, but excellent point. Anyone else? Any other applications? Anything? Once? Twice? All right, let's dive into this together. So, with this being said, some of these observations, let's take those thoughts and observations and bring them with us and dig a little deeper into this text. Now, I've edited it, okay, and to make it a little bit bigger for our study tonight. So, um, we're going to fit it onto the screen. So, here we go. Condensed greatly. Men, listen. In fact, can we kill the, the, the lights up here like we do in the morning? Um, men, listen, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs, which God performed through him. That's interesting, isn't it? That God performed through him in your midst. What, Jesus couldn't perform them without God's help? We'll touch on that. This man, which is attached to Jesus the Nazarene, his earthly name, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God made it happen. He just didn't know what was going to happen. He made it happen. You nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men depending on your translation, we'll touch on that in a minute, and put him to death. But God raised him up again, unlike David's tomb over there, putting an end to the agony of death. Really neat word picture there, since it is impossible for him to be held by in its power. For David says of Christ, Steve Poling brought this up, you will not abandon my soul in Hades. What is Hades? We'll touch on that. Brother, and I may confidently say to you regarding David, that he's still dead, and he's still buried, and his body has extreme decay. His tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that is, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, whom you have crucified. That's a quick word of prayer, and we'll walk through this together. Gracious Father, help us to understand your word. Give us ears, give us eyes. We pray that your Holy Spirit would, would teach us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's start out with the beginning here. Brought by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to the cross by the hands of godless and men and put him to death. Now, this sometimes can be, if you look at that, there's an intellectual paradox here um, for us, especially when you see things through our limited lens. You know, we are finite, he is infinite. Um, but there is a divine paradoxical truth here that is really not just laced here, but it's laced through all of Scripture. In fact, we see it here. We see it in Psalms. And it is this. While God is completely sovereign over all things, man is still fully responsible for their sin. God is completely sovereign over all things, even the cell phone flipping through the ground. All right, but yet Amy is fully responsible for dropping that phone at the same time. Now, you understand what I'm saying there. That's a paradoxical truth when we first see that, is it not? Now, notice there is no diminution of human responsibility here. He doesn't say, hey, just because God foreordained it, you know, you're, you're half to blame. No, there's no, no reduction of human responsibility. Peter sets in front of us the total sovereignty of God right alongside the complete responsibility of man. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Unless we confess with our mouth and on and on, Scripture talks about the full responsibility of us. How is it possible? 
All right? The answer, how is it possible to be fully responsible yet God being fully sovereign? The answer, according to, and I don't know if Laura's here, but J-Mac, all right, is by separating the plans of God from the sins of man. All right? Men are responsible not for God's plan, but for their own sins. In fact, I want you to see these words here, by the hands of godless men. Now, many people like to think this refers to one or two possibilities. And really, they take turns pointing at each other. It's, it's really almost like a cosmic um, scene within Congress, that no matter what the issue is, one side is pointing to the other side as being at fault over something. And it's really getting unbelievable to this point. And if we could close those back doors, that would help me out greatly. Thank you. So by the hands of godless men... One of two possibilities here, but I would like to think outside of the box. I think there's more than just one out of two. I think there is two out of two, and I'll show you why I say this. And they take turns pointing at one another. Now, some point to the Jews, all right? And some point to the Gentiles, and more specifically, the Romans, lawless men which, which crucified him, all right? Let's see here. Oh, am I in trouble? Yeah, you like me? <laughs> Your attendance is marked, all right? Some point to Jews, some point to uh, Gentiles or the Romans when they see the word godless men. Now, the word godless men, another way to interpret that word is lawless men. If you have the, the English Standard Version or the New King James Version, you'll see the word lawless men there. So they will point to the Romans and say, the Romans, these Gentiles, they're godless. They are lawless. Lawless meaning uh, people who were not under the Mosaic law. They're lawless. They are not under the law of God. They don't have that covenant law. This, by the way, is clearly the Jewish perspective. Okay, Those not under the law of Moses, i.e. Gentiles or Romans, are responsible for killing Jesus. All right? But let's not forget that the Jewish leadership handed them over and violated something in doing so. What did the what did the Sanhedrin violate when they handed Jesus and had their kangaroo court and and violated all the legal proceedings and lied and paid off and blood money? What did they violate? Talk to me, church. The law. They are lawless as well. All right. They violated the law of Moses many times in order to hand Jesus over to those who were not under the law. So, my point is this. Both. Both Jews and Gentiles fit this description of lawless, godless people. The point is here, and this goes to the big picture, all sinful people, all mankind is ultimately responsible for the death of Jesus Christ, including you and including me. We are all guilty. Time is short here tonight, so I want to make sure that we spend some time on a question that came up on Wednesday night. And if you're not able to get here on Wednesday night, I would encourage you to come. It's a lot of fun just to have discussion and kind of break it apart. But this is one of the questions that came up, and so I want to honor this question. And um, it's from the, uh, uh, this set of text here. Miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Jesus in your midst. We got it highlighted there in the green. So the question that came up on Wednesday night was this. Did Jesus need God's help? Did Jesus need God's help to perform these miracles? Is Jesus fully God in flesh? 
All right, or is he some sort of adaptation or co-agent that God indwelled and, and he desperately needed God's help to perform things? Is Jesus fully God? If so, why did he need God the Father to perform miracles through him? What does this mean? That's actually a very good question. The answer is found in attaching this green text area here to the beginning of it where it says, um, a man attested to you by God. That flashing box is the answer to the highlighted green part there. By miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, he attested Jesus to man. Now, some will use this text, and this is, again, this is a little bit uh, heavy in context here, but it's important to understand this, because we've literally had people come into our church and try and sell this, all right? And what they are selling is heretical. It is it is heresy, it is false teaching, it does not belong into the church. And it is called the doctrine, whether they realize it or not, sometimes more times than not, they don't understand what they're, they're saying, but it's the false doctrine of adoptionism. Adoptionism. All right, the word and faith movement that is very popular today, uh, triumphed by people like Joyce Meyer, Joel Olstein, Kenneth Copeland. All right, teach that Jesus was a man that was empowered by the Holy Spirit as God's human co-agent. All right, that he was indwelled at the baptism when the Holy Spirit came down and left him upon the death and gave up his spirit. Because of this teaching, the Word and Faith movement will tell you we should be able to do the very same things Jesus did because we too are God's co-agents and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we should be able to do and perform and live the very same way. Hence the phrase, Word in Faith. This verse speaks, they would use this highlighted green area um, that God performed through him in your midst to speak into that false teaching, all right? And you know what? This false teaching would be true if it weren't for one small thing. If this were the only verse ever recorded unto man and given to us, then maybe we could argue this point. It would be true if there was no context around it. But unfortunately for the word and faith movement, their doctrine is rendered false by the very Bible they claim to teach. The greatest enemy of the word and faith doctrine is, in fact, the word of God. To teach that God was a man, adopted as a co-agent, all right, would be perfectly fine if we burned the rest of the Bible. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke alone, and I purposely am saying that word, Luke, all right, In that gospel alone, it teaches that Jesus was Savior, and he was Lord, all right, and he was the Messiah, and that he was fully God before the foundations of the world. It teaches that he is fully God in eternity past. In fact, it teaches that he was fully God at his, and the shepherds came running, and they sang, he was fully God when he was what? Born unto us a child is born is Emmanuel, God with us from birth. His entire life he is attested to as being God. His resurrection and his death and sitting at the right hand, being given a name that is above all other names and all authority. Jesus is fully, equally God in the flesh. He is equally part of the triune God that has been taught all through scriptures. So then... Knowing this, by Luke alone, not to mention the other 65 canonical books, 
Why did Peter say it like this? Context. Context. Now, I want you to... I want you to think outside. Sometimes it's hard for us to think in context of the Word of God outside of five verses that precede or, um, or what there's precede and what comes after precede. Follows. Thank you. <laughs> I needed it to end with the word seed. Proceed? No, that's money, isn't it? That's what follows it. A lot of times we are just looking at immediate context, but let us remember what is going on in this culture. I'm going to ask you a question here, and you, you answer this, Okay. Let us remember that Jesus' enemies has ascribed his source for miracles to a very different power. To a very different power. Anyone here remember what the Pharisees said about Jesus and where his power came from? They accused him of healing. They accused him of miracles. They accused him of casting out demons by the power of what? Anyone? Beelzebub. Prince of demons. Peter is addressing that here in many ways. You find that in Luke chapter 11, by the way, 15 and 18. Peter's emphasis is not that Jesus could not perform them by his power or his own power or that he was not fully God and just a co-agent. Peter's point here is that Jesus is attested to you by God. Jesus had both the power and the approval of God. They were both working at the same time in unison with one another. In fact, John chapter 5, verse 17, just comes right out and says it in the most simple of words. It says this, And Jesus said to them, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus did not do, I'm sorry, Jesus did not do His miracles on His own. He and His Father worked in unison for the purpose of showing that Christ was not an imposter. He is attested to you. He is from God, not Beelzebub. The point here of describing the miracles of Jesus by God is not to indicate the source of the power, but to bring out the purpose. And here it is. Jesus is of God, not of anything else. I am. He is attested to you. In fact, let me rewrite this in a way that we have heard many times and we're very familiar. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. I work with and through my son. And then I want you to cast your eyes on here. You will not abandon my soul in Hades. Hades. Now, a lot of times, here's a question for you, and just kind of throw back words to me. In our day and age, when you hear the word Hades, what comes to mind? Anyone? Just what comes to mind? What's that? Hell. Hell. Yep. Any, what, yep, absolutely. Anything else? Torment. Torment. Hate. Hate. Okay. Fire. Where's my... Okay, I keep thinking it's further away here. The word Hades here, all right, and we spoke briefly about this this morning. I want to bring out this phrase, my soul in Hades. The word Hades here in the New Testament is the equivalent, the one-to-one equivalent to the Old, Ter- Old Testament term Sheol, all right? Which, within this context, refers to the general sense of the abode of the dead. The abode of the dead, generally. If, if, if Jeff were to pass away right now, he would be generally ascribed to the abode of the dead, all right? The place of the dead, generally speaking. In fact, this is reinforced when we see the words putting the end to the agony of death. There's the subject again. Shoal. 
since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Now, I like the imagery here, and you can see the picture going up there right now. The word agony here is normally, in New Testament language, used in the context of childbearing or birth pains. Okay? What are they called? Contractions? Is that the right word? Am I using the right word? Is there another word for, for, for contractions? Agony? Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, wow, agony. Some would say Hades, all right? No, I'm just teasing here. But the agony of being in the throes of childbearing. Peter draws the imagery here, and this is rather interesting. He draws the imagery here and provides a metaphor in which death, Hades, the general abode of the dead, that, dead, it, that death is regarded as being in labor in agony, in contractions, in unable to hold back a child. Here's the point. Death could no more hold Jesus in the grave than a woman in labor could hold her child in the womb. Ladies, how much control do you have? Listen, I understand, okay? No, I don't, I don't. But when, when that time comes, and I'm keeping it general, all right? How much control do you have? Talk to me, ladies. You don't get to say, not now. You know, I said no. What does the child do? (laughs) It's coming. Now, by the way, it's not the birth. We're going to need this imagery. It's not the birth that makes it a child. You following me? It's born because it is a child. It's coming. You cannot stop it because it is, it is a child. Now, with that in mind, we may say, yeah, 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 great word study. What does this have to do with my faith? Here it is. What Peter is saying, now let's bring all the context with us right now as we kind of just pull ourselves out of the weeds and this, this heavy content. What he is saying while he is in this new way of of the Holy Spirit indwelling him at Pentecost with the echoes of tongues still lingering against the building, he is teaching this. The resurrection is not what makes Jesus the Messiah. The resurrection happened because Jesus is the Messiah. Amen, church? Just like a child is born. It's not born. It's not a child because it was born. It's born because it's a child. He is the Messiah. It's important to know here that the greatest proof that that Jesus is the Messiah is not his amazing teaching, as great as it was. It's not his miracles, as great as they were. It's not even his death, as monumental as it was. The greatest proof that he is what he says he is, is the resurrection from the grave that could not hold him. None of these things made him the Messiah. These things happened because he is the Messiah. And then he says, Peter says this. I'm gonna, we'll wrap up with this here. What do we got here? Ha! We're going to have some talk time. All right. And you rejected him, this Jesus whom you crucified. Eric brought this up a little bit earlier. Was it Eric? Did you bring up? No, who brought up you crucified him? You're guilty. Anyone at all? Anyone? Yes, thank you. Peter says you're guilty. You're on the wrong side. All lawless, okay, and that's going to be both Jew and Gentile, all lawless people, which is everyone, you and me, 
need to repent. Here's something. We talked about this Wednesday real briefly. All that the church would remember to teach repentance only comes when you know that you are guilty. Maybe, 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 I'm just, I'm speculating. I don't mean to say this tongue-in-cheek, but although it's there. Maybe we see so many few, so, so many few. Maybe we see so few salvations because we are constantly telling everyone they're fine just the way they are. But to encourage this, God, give us, all right, the, the mindset to teach that repentance only comes when you know you are guilty. And let me end on a positive note here by starting on the downside. God, forgive us for elevating the Bible to self-help TED Talks on how to be a better us over the gospel and need to repent and believe. So here it is, so that that guilt can be removed. He gave us a way out, right? So that guilt can be removed, for there is no condemnations for those who are in Christ Jesus. So with all these things being said, let's just kind of peel back all the busyness, and we'll let the text speak for itself, and allow all that we studied, for many of you, for some of you, Wednesday, Sunday morning, and Sunday night, we'll let the text study here, and we'll kind of let all that we studied fill in the text. And we'll do it a little bit differently. We're going to speed round this. I may stop and turn around and say, what comes to mind when you hear those words? And then we'll, we'll do this together. But I'm the leader, okay? I'm just joking. Men, listen. What comes to mind? Anyone? Comes from Newberry. What's that? Put your phone down. Yes, very good. Men, listen. What else comes to mind? Res- yes, yes. Responsibility of... The listener. Yes. Good sermons are not only in the preparation of the teacher, but in the, in the prepared heart of the listener. Men, listen. Jesus the Nazarene. Oh, there's a popular name. Does anything good come from Nazareth? I want to draw your attention to the man, and, 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 and Dave, you brought it up, that you yourselves have seen and know and attest to. It has been in front of you. It's been only ten days since he's been gone. Jesus the man, Nazarene, a man attested to you by God. He is not from Beelzebub. He is, he is the Son of God from birth and before with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst. This man, this Nazarene, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. What comes to mind when you hear the words predetermined and foreknowledge coming together at the same time? Talk to me. Fully responsible? Yeah, He is sovereign. Very good. But it's, it, that's exactly right. Now let's piggyback on that. Not only did God know what was going to happen, He what? He made it happen. He was determined. In foreknowledge of God that you nailed to the cross by the hands of all guilty men and put Him to death. But God raised Him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. All right, much like childbearing. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Carol, what comes to your mind when you see the word Agony. Hades? Okay, good. Thank you. Since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. For David says to him, You will not abandon my soul in the realm of the dead. Brethren, I confidently say to you regarding our forefather David, that he both died and is buried, he saw decay, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know for certain 
that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you are crucified, you are on the wrong side, you are guilty, you need to repent. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And as we are dismissed, um, may our fellowship be centered um, around your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being a good and faithful God. We pray this and we ask this in your Son's precious name. Amen.